this episode is about mandatory minimums. Let's Ooh. let's call it that. Okay. And the article you sent me months ago, maybe at this point, mm-hmm. I don't know, May, was Montgomery County woman 24 is sentenced to 21 years in prison for friend's heroin overdose death. Oh, you need to introduce yourself. We didn't even introduce ourselves. Who are you? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Subject to Cross, a new podcast on criminal law. I am host, Caroline Donato. And I am co-host, Pete Kratza. Both from the law firm McElroy Harvey in Westchester, Pennsylvania. We are your friendly neighborhood criminal defense attorneys here to talk about everything criminal defense. And here we go. All right. So this is the article you sent me about a, a girl, 24, sentenced to 21 years in prison for friend's heroin overdose death. Uh, this was in the Inquirer. Can you tell everybody about it? Because this was something that interests you and it is it interesting. Did. I mean, I, I uh, was reading this in the Sunday Inquirer. I think it was back in June. And what struck me about the article, and I don't, we don't need to go too much in depth into the entirety of the article, but it was about um, a young lady whose case was adopted by the uh, federal prosecutors um, where she and her sister and uh, a a friend that I think ironically she had met in rehab were in a bathroom in Philadelphia somewhere uh, doing heroin and the ultimate defendant in the federal case uh, had purchased the heroin it could have been any of them uh, they shared the heroin, and uh, one, un- one, one of them unfortunately passed. And ultimately, the federal government wanted the person they, they located her. They had purchased the heroin apparently from some gang in Philadelphia that was of great interest to the, to the federal prosecutors. And they wanted to leverage her. They wanted her to, to be a witness uh, against that. She balked at that. Uh, she ultimately went to trial, I believe. I don't think she pled guilty. She went to trial and was convicted and now was facing a 20-year mandatory um, and ultimately received 21 years in prison. And what struck me, among other things, was, again, I hate to, to beat on prosecutors, and I'm not going to name names, even in this article, but people can figure out who, who the U.S. attorney is in Philadelphia. The justification, you know, the, 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 it, that, that's an insane sentence um, by any, I'm getting feedback, um, that, you know, that, that how anyone could think, and this does not minimize, you know, the fact that someone died. It, it's tragic. Um, and I'm not saying there shouldn't be punishment for someone who purchased the, the heroin um, and provided the heroin and used the heroin along with the, the, the person who died. But 21 years, please, it could have been any of them. Well, I think Judge Prater said that uh, she her sentencing decision was bound in part by congressional mandate. Although, right. I mean, she gave more. She gave her one more year than right. the 20, didn't she? Um, th- this is the quote from the prosecutor that really kind of upset me. If I can find it, just give me a second. Um, well, and while you're doing that, I'll add that Judge Prater said that um, Semler did 
little to help the defendant did little to help her case. Judge Prater accused her of not taking the proceedings seriously until she was convicted and uh, of flouting is it flouting? Correct. Uh, flouting the conditions of her bail by posting photos of herself to Facebook lounging by a pool with friends and on a Black Friday trip uh, to the King of Prussia Mall when she was supposed to be under house arrest. So that yeah, was so she gave her one more, one more year extra than year. the 20. Uh, all right. Uh, the prosecutor praised the law, this 20-year mandatory, as a, quote, strong hammer, end quote, to encourage cooperation in cases like this. One way a defendant can avoid the 20-year minimum sentence is to deliver agents, quote, substantial assistance in an ongoing investigation. They also offered her sister, who was the, the defendant's sister, who was the third person in the bathroom, an even better deal, immunity in exchange for testifying against her sister. She accepted, though the decision racked her with guilt, family members said. Um, hours before she was to appear before a grand jury hearing evidence in the case, the sister overdosed on heroin and was revived. Prosecutors put her on the stand anyway over the objections of her lawyers. The defendant, too, was offered multiple chances to plead guilty and help agents build a case against others. She chose to take her chances in court. So some people are going to say, well, you know, she had a chance. She could have avoided the 20 years. All she had to do was uh, cooperate. Well, one, <laughs> cooperating against a, a violent drug gang in, in Philadelphia um, is not an easy thing to do. Sure. Um, Two, these are young people. I think she was in her early 20s. She also, and what, uh, respectfully, the judge over apparently didn't put a whole lot of um, um, credit towards, she got clean. She was clean, I think, for uh, a long time before the, the sentencing. I, I, I closed the article on my phone. Um, and I think she worked with, uh, with others to try to help them stay clean. Did you ever... It's just an example. I'll just finish. Um, it's just an example of how ridiculous mandatory minimum sentences are. Their leverage. The prosecutor came right out and said that they're leverage. And they remove all discretion from a judge. Not that apparently that judge would have done much if, if uh, they had discretion. But they lead to unjust results. Did we ever give the factual background to this case? I think I did. You weren't listening. I wasn't listening. Yeah, they okay. were in a bathroom. Well, you didn't. You didn't mention the fact that it was the defendant who happened to have the ten dollars. Did you? No, I said it could have been any of them that bought it. Okay, yeah, yeah. it was a ten dollar. Ten dollars. Yeah. Um, that resulted in a twenty-one year sentence. Everybody, you know, it, 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 I would, I would submit that. It's easy for people to look at this um, cynically or caustically and say, well, somebody died and she's the one that is the responsible for it. She had every opportunity to cooperate. She didn't, so now she gets the, the 20 years. Until it's your family member. Until it's your family member that has a, a, a mandatory minimum that's being leveraged against them to cooperate. Um, it just shows, I mean, and this is blatant in my opinion, uh, how they are just a tool that are used by prosecutors to try to leverage people. And they're lazy. The, 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 not the prosecutors. Mandatory minimums are lazy. They're, they don't take into account individual circumstances. They don't take into account individual efforts at rehabilitation. They remove all that. Um, and I'm happy in Pennsylvania, at the moment anyway, 
in state court as opposed to this, which was in federal court, that the majority of mandatory minimums aren't in play. But it's only a matter of time before the legislature brings them back. Let's talk about what mandatory minimums are in play in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. You okay there? Yeah. Once in a while, <laughs> reading glasses cause me issues. He's having a fit across the table. I almost like bumped into this microphone. If, if you have a first offense, highest tier DUI, that's a 72-hour mandatory minimum. And we're not talking about any diversionary programs right now. If you have a second offense, highest tier DUI, it's a 90-day mandatory minimum. And the third offense, highest tier DUI, it's a one-year mandatory minimum. And then each tier has its own mandatory minimum. Do you agree? What are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I agree, although there are programs that are available to avoid even those mandatory minimums, even the one year for the third. third. Recovery court. You you can do recovery court or you can do state intermediate punishment, um, triple RI. Um, You know, there are programs in state court where you can avoid those mandatory, otherwise mandatory minimums. There no such animal in federal court. And a lot of times what we see, I mean, we've had it happen uh, within the past year. The feds will adopt uh, a case that originally starts in state court and the mandatories come into play. In the federal court. Mm-hmm. This is true. Uh, any- and or state court prosecutors will intimate, read, threaten, that a case could be adopted federally if you don't plead guilty to what you know they're asking for, and then it's incumbent upon us and the client to to uh, decide whether we were going to roll the dice or not, call their bluff. So again, that's another example of of them being used as leverage. And I am an advocate for a judge. If we can't agree on a sentence with a prosecutor, if we have a client with culpability and if the client is willing to accept responsibility and plead guilty, leave it up to a judge if we can't agree on a, on a, on a uh, sentence. Don't lazily and cynically apply a mandatory minimum sentence. Are you saying in state and federal court leave it up to a judge in yeah, terms of the mandatory not? minimum? That's what they're there for. They're there well, to they decide. they can't go below the mandatory minimum. No, I mean, there shouldn't be mandatory minimums. Oh, get rid of them altogether. Yes. Well, sure. When I'm king of the world. Godspeed. Yeah, well, it's never going to happen, so it's entirely hypothetical. And then, then there's a whole other issue with the death penalty and how that is absolutely leveraged in those cases. Um, and arbitrarily and inconsistently, in my experience, applied um, here and elsewhere. Um that's it's, an example of another podcast topic where we might have to have a guest. Oh, really? Yeah, I think that'd be fun. Hmm, okay. Ah. You know how I um, have kind of in the past, maybe on one of these episodes, I've said that I kind of fell into being a criminal defense lawyer. Have you? Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I think that's pretty apparent. The point is that maybe, I was thinking about this, Maybe I was meant to become a criminal defense lawyer because I remember when I went to Catholic school, which I also hated, um, back in like seventh grade, we had to do a a book report. And I remember going, I think it was my mom uh, at the time was at Our Lady of Angels College, which is now Newman University. And I remember going to the library and researching. um, And the topic I chose, which wasn't particularly popular uh, in Catholic school, 
was, well, maybe it was, but the point is that it was against the death penalty. It was about, you know, the arbitrary nature of it, how it's, you know, not a more, deterrent, more, not a deterrence that it's, that's more a deterrent, that it's deterrent, uh, yeah. um, hypocritical, un, that it's, uh, arbitrary, that it's, uh, um, inconsistently applied, that it's, you know, that it's more geared toward minority defendants, all that stuff. Um, and I, I, I actually like that. I remember, like, that's like one of the few things I remember other than getting in trouble by Sister Anne um, uh, from grade school. So maybe I was meant to be a defense attorney. This mandatory minimum episode took a hard turn. Did it? Oh. <laughs> to the death penalty? Well, that, <laughs> to your, to that, your that, career that's, trajectory. That's, oh, yeah. That is the ultimate uh, mandatory minimum, though, isn't it? Well, there's a couple of emails that were sent that we can address. Good afternoon, first-time emailer, long-time listener. I have a stupid question for you guys. No question is stupid. If there is a warrant out due to an unpaid traffic ticket, are you automatically arrested at a traffic stop and put in jail? Thanks. Uh, you can be. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can be. Uh, probably. Yep. Doesn't I, sound like there I would be reason not to. What happens there in practice is that you're normally afforded the opportunity, whether by the police officer or maybe by constable around here anyway, to go to the district court and pay the fine. And absent you know that, I've noticed around Westchester there are more and more boots. Have you seen that? No. You know those orange things where they. Boot no, I know what bars? a boot is. I lived yeah. in Philly. Wow. Okay. Well. That was a brief one, but yeah, if there's an outstanding warrant for your arrest, regardless if it's for a traffic ticket or something else, you can be picked up after a traffic stop. Yeah, I mean, what we do with clients that are uh, going to be charged uh, is what we sometimes call, at least I call, an arrest by appointment. Where Self-surrender? If, if you're char- yeah, if you're charged with a felony, by definition, it has to go out as a warrant, and we can arrange with the police and the prosecutor... Uh, that they, quote-unquote, hold on to the complaint, don't file it so it's not in the system and you don't get picked up by a constable or a police officer. And we appear at a district court, get them uh, uh, put on bail, uh, processed, which is fingerprinted and photographed, and you know, on our way in terms of addressing the case, <clears throat> excuse me, to avoid being incarcerated. My, and I don't take a lot of state court cases in Philadelphia, but my understanding there is that you can't really do that. You know, I've, I've had clients that had to sit in, I think they call it, they, at least they used to call it the roundhouse for a number of uh, uh, hours, potentially days, before they uh, get arraigned in front of a, a judge and, and get out on bail. Mm-hmm. But around here in the counties, um, we uh, can generally avoid that if we're contacted early enough. So here's another email. And we don't, it, it would not be cost effective to retain you or me to represent somebody in parking tickets being picked up. Well, it's just, you know, pay your parking ticket and you won't get arrested. Or, I mean, now these days, it's so much easier to to pay the meters with the credit cards and everything. Well, just, you know, if you you get a parking ticket, pay it. Do you know that I'm lazy and a lot of times I just park near the the courthouse and I don't park in our garage? I know that all the time because when we meet for cases in the courthouse that we're both... But it's like I'm not even really spending uh, money by using my credit card. But I do know this because when we walk out and I walk those really difficult two blocks back to the well, office. Well, there are uphill. Oh, my God, Pete. All right, the other email. 
Uh, this this email requests a segment in every episode where you guys let listeners quote know their rights unquote. This can serve as an educational tool to help people know what they can and cannot do under the criminal justice system. The email goes on to say, "I know it's free and thematic, but man, do I not! <laughs> but man, do I not like that opening music!" Yes. <laughs> I didn't write that, by but the that's way. probably just me. No, it's not. Love the cast. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll change it. Did you I know mention, what? I have mentioned that you picked the music. Yes, I yeah. picked the music. You know what you didn't mention? What? I didn't have a lot of good stuff to choose from. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm going to reach out to Chuck D and see if we can have permission to use "Welcome to the Tarot." Okay. All right. Okay, so um, a segment in every episode, Know Your right, know Their Rights. Know Your Rights? I think it would be Know Your Rights. Uh, we, could, we could do that, a quick one, to wrap okay. up this episode. What right would you like to address, Caroline? Uh, oh, um, if the police come to your house, do you have to let them in? Know Your Rights. Go. Unless they have a search warrant, you do not need to let them in. Or an arrest warrant. Or an arrest warrant. Um, if they're at your door, <laughs> I'm hearkening back to, uh, there was a great mini series. This is probably before you were born, uh, Salem's Lot, Stephen King. And this is like back, like in the day when David Soul, who was Starsky and Hutch, you ever hear of Starsky and Hutch? I've heard of it. Okay. Well, David Soul was like the lead in Salem's Lot. And I remember it scared the heck out of me to watch this. But there was like this kid and he's in his bedroom and one of his friends has been turned into a vampire and he's floating by the window and he's kind of clawing, let me in, let me in, let me in. And you're like, kid, don't let him in. Don't let him in. I don't remember if you let him in or not, but that scene like affected me. Um, In that, to to follow my analogy, the police are the vampire. Mm. You do not need to let them in. Uh, You do not need to invite them in unless they have a warrant. And... What I would advise clients if they're under investigation and the police show up, and by the way, I'm friends with a lot of police officers, and they would, if they were on the opposite side of this, they would have the same practice. Good footnote. Um, The point is that um, you can ask for their card. You can say, I'll have my attorney contact you, and we control when and if you, you speak with the police. The mistake that a lot of people make, and it's and it's a tactic of law enforcement, which is absolutely appropriate on their part, is the element of surprise. You know, you're intimidated when there's a detective, whether it's a plainclothes detective or a, or a police officer at your door. And what we find a lot of times is client kicking themselves and uh, after the fact because they contact us after they've already spoken to the police and they've already spilled the beans. Um, is that a term that? Your generation understands spilled the beans? Yeah. Okay. Um, so this the best practice is to get a card and say, I will have my attorney contact you. If they have a warrant, um, you have to let them in. SOL. What's SOL? Shit out of luck. You can't curse on this podcast. You started one of the episodes cursing on this podcast. I, I you dispute You asked that. me permission as I run this joint. Yeah, you do. And I said, yes. And so because I made that rule, I cursed. So are there any other... Oh, I got one. What? No, I'm on this one still. Oh. Um, any other search warrant, arrest warrant, 
Um, yeah, they have. I mean, a knock they, and announce would be pursuant to either of those. So. Well, I mean, they're allowed in your house if there's a exigent like uh, emergency. Yeah. Right? So say they were trying to effectuate an arrest. They're and looking you, for a fugitive. You know, they the hot pursuit. Right, and and say that, but say the police are trying to effectuate your arrest, and you run into your house. You can't say you can't come in here because yeah, right. you don't have a warrant. Yeah, uh, under those circumstances, they're gonna they're gonna get into your house. I got another one. And another one, you know, oh. if they're in hot pursuit of your spouse or or, or uh, your child, um, and you won't let them in, uh, you're potentially opening yourself up to hindering and, and other charges. What if they're in hot pursuit of you, and you run into somebody else's house? Well, I mean, why? <laughs> what kind of a hypothetical is that? You're committing criminal trespass, and yeah, they and can then go the into the house. And the police go into that house well, because if, they can in hot pursuit. And what if they see drugs all in that house? Listeners, the homeowner? <laughs> listeners, if if a fugitive runs into your house, it's probably best practice to let them get the fugitive out of your house. That would. <laughs> what was the other one? <laughs> I just. I don't know. I'm just thinking of them on the spot. Okay, so oh, oh, although the listener said one right per session, I right? know, but that's just right. one more, and then we'll be done. Uh, you're driving in your car. You've had two beers at dinner, as everyone always does, just two, and you're driving home, and you get stopped for a traffic violation, and the officer asks you, "Have you been drinking? Do you have to respond? And if so, what do you have to say? Go." You don't have to respond. Um, I'm not going to counsel anyone not to tell the truth. So if the truth is you had more than two drinks, um, I would just say uh, I'd rather not say. Uh, hypothetically? <laughs> yeah. Hypothetically. Okay. Um, I had a, a friend. We'll call them a friend. Chuck. Chuck D. Um, and, <laughs> and the friend, they would. They, the, this is way back in the day. The friend would ask me, what if, you know, you, you get stopped and and the police, uh, you know, ask you, um, you know, questions like that? And my response was, I'd rather not say. Be polite. I'd rather not say, officer. You know, don't incriminate yourself. You know, that's another right we're touching upon here. You're right against self-incrimination. Well, that friend um, got into an accident where he hit a, a one-vehicle accident. He hit a boulder. And his car um, was, you know, disabled, and a police officer showed up. And the friend had been drinking. And the police officer said, were you driving? And the friend said, I'd rather not say, officer. He asked him multiple times. The police officer became very frustrated with him. And It'll be in your best saying, interest if you tell me the truth. Yeah, I'd rather not say, officer. Well, long story short, police officer said, get in the back of my car, drove him home, and he was never charged with anything. Um, and he actually thanked me for, for that advice. Um, and that's an illustration. And not to, I'm not advocating for the offense of drinking and driving. You shouldn't. Uh, it amazes me these days that they're still drinking and driving with, with Uber and all that stuff. But the point is that he um, maintained his uh, right to remain silent and avoided being charged. Because if he had answered, uh, yes, I was driving then he would have surely been arrested. So long, the long and short of it is, as Pat Scott used to say, is that you don't have to say you had, you don't have to admit to drinking, but don't lie. Pat Scott used to say that? The long and short of it? Oh, he said that. Yeah. Oh, okay. 
Right. Oh, yeah, no, he didn't give the advice. No, you don't lie, say, but why incriminate yourself? Right. You don't have to answer any questions. Exactly. I mean, if they ask for your license, registration. I mean, don't stand mute, <laughs> but I'd rather not say. That's a good one. Isn't there, wasn't there like a, saw something recently where a kid was going through a, a, uh, uh, checkpoint and wouldn't put his window down. Like they kept mm-hmm. asking him to put his window down. And the issue is whether you have to put your window down or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a practical matter. If you don't pull your window down, you ain't getting through the checkpoint. Right. Um, but I guess theoretically, you could just put your, you know, your <laughs> stuff right through the the little crack, crack it down. In the window. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I mean, and that that applies not only in the context of, of vehicle stops, but in any you know in any interaction with the police. Um, don't lie to them, but you don't have to incriminate yourself. Right. If anybody has questions, and I didn't put this in the last... Oh, one other thought. Oh, tell me. And if you think, if you think in the context of being questioned by the police while under investigation for a crime, oh, I'll just talk to them and explain to them why I didn't do it or why, you know, why um, I was justified in doing it. In other words, what we call exculpatory information. If you think you have exculpatory information, don't talk to the police. Get their card, ask to speak with us. We'll decide in conjunction with you whether what you have to say is truly exculpatory or whether it's going to inadvertently incriminate you. Was that a marketing pitch? I don't know if it was a marketing pitch. But Rather than get in touch with a lawyer, get in touch with us. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, well, I'm not going to say to get in touch with another lawyer. Yeah, don't go, don't go anywhere else. Well, I mean, that's, that's I mean, extreme. maybe, you know, I, I don't know. Is that it? <laughs> uh, if you have any questions, we have an email now set up. Rather than texting one of us, it seems as though I've gotten the texts or the in-person questions. I'd rather an email... Uh, subject to cross at com. No way, really? Yeah. Have all you right. not been looking at your email at all? You're on these emails. Okay. Okay. It's there. You get them too. Oh, yeah. I see that now. Mm-hmm. All right. And McElry is spelled M A C E L R E E dot com. So subject to cross at com. Ask us your questions. We will answer them and make suggestions for uh, new intro music. music. Yeah. We need help. Why don't we get somebody? We we there's probably somebody that would lend their own music. Would anybody lend their own music out there? Yeah, I prefer something a little bit more aggressive. Pete, Pete wants it dark. Yeah, goth. <laughs> that's you, Pete. You're goth. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right, that's it for this. I don't know. I don't know how often these are coming out, but week, month, year, what have you. Subject to cross. Thanks for joining us. Anything else, Pete? No. Say goodbye. 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 <laughs>